It's time to hit the trail as we present your monthly dose of travel, tourism, wine and dine. This is Travel Radio Australia. Here's your host, Renz Veers. And welcome to the first edition of Travel Radio Australia for the year 2016. Uh, We will be back every month this year with uh, some brand new reports on travel around the world. But first up, uh, for for 2016, we have a bit of a recap. We'll uh, bring some of the best segments we've featured in 2015. So settle back, relax and enjoy the trip. Here we go. Now, the city of Geneva is a city in Switzerland and it's recently been voted the leading city break destination in Europe. So I thought it was probably a good thing to find out a little bit more about that destination. And I'm joined uh, on our Skype line by Pascal Books, who's the PR manager uh, for Europe for Geneva Tourism. Pascal, how are you? Hello, David. How are you? I'm good, thank you. Geneva. I think the best thing to do is describe where Geneva is. Well, Geneva is basically in the center of Europe when you when you see it, when you see it on, on the map. So it makes uh, makes a lot of sense going to Geneva first because of the distance. Actually, it's uh, an hour between one hour two hours uh, uh, from the biggest capitals of Europe. And uh, well, from London, I think it takes uh, about an hour and a half to get to Geneva. And uh, well, it's definitely already geographically meant it's uh, definitely a good point. From a city perspective, mm-hmm. uh, obviously, Geneva must be quite close to Lake Geneva as well. Mm-hmm. Yeah, well, I mean, Lake Geneva is part of the city because uh, we are really at the end of Lake Geneva. This is uh, where the Rhone uh, starts, uh, starts actually. And, uh, well, the lake is uh, totally part of the city as, uh, you know, there is a raid on the banks around uh, the, the end of Lake Geneva. So it makes it really, really attractive, of course. Now, as a tourist visiting Geneva for the first time, um, if you maybe had a couple of days uh, to visit Geneva, what would be at the top of the list? What, what do people have to go and visit? Well, for people who come for the first time, uh, it's of course uh, first uh, uh, a panoramic experience because uh, we are really at the at the lake. So uh, the lake, even, I mean, just the lake itself is a is a really nice place to uh, to go and to see. And uh, then there are the must uh, the must sees, of, of course. Uh, for someone who comes for the first time, I would definitely recommend the top ten, uh, which starts with the Jedo. You know, it's uh, it's our landmark. It's uh, one of the uh, biggest attraction uh, in Switzerland itself. Uh, you know, it's a, a really high water jet. Uh, shoots 100, 140 meters uh, water water in the sky. Uh, so it's really uh, really impressive when you see it for the first time. Mm-hmm. Then, uh, of course, there is the old town. The old town is uh, its actually one of the uh, biggest old towns in, in Switzerland. It's the biggest Switz- uh, uh, old town in Switzerland, actually. <laughs> and uh, St. Uh, Peter's Cathedral is, uh, is in, in the center of it. And uh, it's definitely worth uh, uh, going up the 150 stairs uh, to have a really panoramic uh, view on the city. This is Travel Radio Australia. Greetings, it's Francis here from the heart of Europe. Well, cars and Germany go together, and living now in the home of BMW provides insights that perhaps I take for granted 
compared to others who will travel around the world to see what is on my doorstep. The BMW Centre in Bavaria is located in Munich and has always been a great attraction for local residents, simply because it's free and is open seven days a week. Featuring the latest models of their cars and bikes, it allows the turbo-driven to indulge in this eye candy to their heart's content. However, even better is the BMW Museum, which is adjacent to the centre and reveals a fascinating history of BMW through the ages, complete with many superbly restored machines of all shapes and sizes. Open daily except Monday, it's great value for any motor fundi at a mere €10 a head and considerably less for children and pensioners. It gives you a few hours of pure self-indulgence of these magnificent machines. I fell in love with the look and sleekness of a 1923 motorbike. Comparing it with a modern-day motorbike some 92 years later made one realise just how fast, if you'll pardon the pun, these machines have progressed in nearly a century. They're bigger, faster and more aerodynamic than ever before. However, it is the realisation that some 50 years and more ago, machines were designed with wind and airspeed effects in mind. The modern building, with its curved sloping walkways that span over several floors that are mostly underground, is a work of art in itself and a real tribute as a BMW museum. The rooms lead to left and right from the walkways and many have integrated Wi-Fi that will automatically activate in English or German when you stand in an appropriate place. It's all clever stuff. Some rooms are dedicated to photographs designed to create illusions of space, speed and or beauty. Other rooms have books that depict the history of motor racing with BMW over the years and as you turn each page, a ceiling reader automatically registers the action and tells you about the pictures in front of you. BMW never do anything in half measures, and this museum proves it. Having opened only a few years ago, it cleverly combines history with the ultimate marketing tool. The desire to perhaps own one of their machines, whether on two or four wheels. And lest I forget, there is even one of the original three-wheel vehicles that actually undertook a journey across the continent of America at a time when most people were only dreaming about owning a car. There is a nod also to some of the finest sports cars of all time that achieve speeds that can only be experienced in a couple of countries in the world. Legally, that is. Germany, with its autobahns, is one of them. No surprise then that today the speed limitless zones are allowed to stay when you have two of arguably the greatest car manufacturers in the world located in Germany. There has to be somewhere to test these machines aside from racetracks. While James Bond famously drove BMWs or Beamers as they are affectionately known in some of the 007 movies and you can see some of these close up and personal as long as you understandably don't touch. I have to say I was completely mesmerised. Dreaming or aspiring to own a car or a bike weakens the heart of not just men, but plenty women too. During my visit to the museum, which can also be done in conjunction with a factory tour that must be booked a considerable time in advance, 
there was a considerable number of Russian and Japanese visitors. However, the bliss of the museum is that it is so well designed that you never feel crowded. There is ample space, especially if you go in the morning when less people tend to visit. When all is said and done in the Vroom Vroom department, there is a choice of restaurants to tempt the taste buds. These range from the obscenely expensive to a couple of cafes that provide excellent light meals such as pasta or a Caesar salad at a reasonable price. It's a great day out and best of all is easily accessible by train so even those that may be transiting through Munich with a day stop over at the airport can make the journey if they have a few hours to spare. It's all about cars and bikes but very clever marketing too. This is Travel Radio Australia. My guest this week is Julie Rogers, the Group Sales Manager for Asia Pacific for the amazingly famous Rocky Mountaineer train in Canada. And Julie, welcome to the program. Thank you very much for having me. And Julie, tell me about this iconic trip that people can take across the Rocky Mountains. They've probably seen it on TV and it's, it's just a tremendous thing to do. I, I, it's on everyone's bucket list, I think. Yes, it is on everybody's bucket list. And to be honest with you, when people actually travel on the Rocky Mountaineer train, they fall in love with not only the product, the train, the service, the cuisine and the, the, the storytelling, but also the magnificent destination, which is Western Canada. We travel throughout British Columbia and Alberta, but from Vancouver out to the Rockies, either through to Jasper or through to Banff and Lake Louise. And we've also have some beautiful, a beautiful train journey from Seattle up to Vancouver, hugging the coastline, and um, which gives beautiful views of the Pacific Ocean. And people have probably seen this train. It's the one with the tremendous, like, triple-decker panoramic windows on the top and you sit, sit there and you just the whole thing envelops you. That's right it's a it's a, a double decker so not quite the triple it's the dual carriage um, where we have the beautiful glass dome panoramic ceilings and then underneath on that same dome is the is the the restaurant and the restaurant is like dining in a Michelin star restaurant for breakfast and then going back again at lunchtime. Each carriage has a fully equipped a la carte kitchen with at least four chefs working and everything is prepared from scratch and all of the meals are from the Alberta and British Columbia area so we're really showcasing the the cuisine of Western Canada. And I suppose the experience starts right when you get at the uh, you know the train station to leave it starts right there. Exactly so we actually pick our guests up from the hotel and take them to the train so that's just easy for them and they don't have to worry and then when we're actually at the train station in Vancouver it's a lot of fanfare um, it's, a, it's very exciting we have entertainment at, at the station all of our all of our staff from our offices come down and wave us off and of course we have our very professional crew there but there's lots of music there's ba- bagpipes and it's um, quite a festive event and this year is actually our 25th anniversary of showcasing um, Canada for guests from throughout the world. And tell us a bit about the cabins there. They must be pretty luxurious. Uh, yes, we have three levels of service. We have our, our red leaf service, which is a more of a traditional style of train service and with, with large panoramic views. So you can still see the beautiful areas of Canada. And that includes a continental breakfast and a chilled lunch and soft drinks. And then we have our new service, which is silver leaf 
a beautiful way to see the Rockies. It's just a single dome carriage and it's larger panoramic windows and it also comes across to almost the glass dome so you can see, see out towards the top of the ceiling and that includes the hot breakfast and hot lunch where you can actually choose from a menu and that includes beer and wine throughout the service and of course the storytelling and the, the beautiful views as you're travelling and then of course as you know most popular is our gold leaf and our most famous gold leaf which, which is the full panoramic um, glass dome giving the beautiful views of the Rocky Mountains and also it's a great way ex- to experience the wildlife as well. We do have three routes that go out to the Rocky Mountains so our original route which is the first passage to the west, our journeys through to the clouds which takes you up to the mountains of Jasper and then our more remote journey which goes via Whistler up to Quenelle and there's no highway following the this rail track so it's more remote so that obviously means more opportunity to see wildlife as well and we will stop the train as soon as we see wildlife um, so that once we can protect the wildlife but also too so that we can view it as well. And what kind of wildlife can you see? Um, Moose, elk, bears of course. We're trying to see as much as we possibly can of the area and depending on what time of year you're travelling as to what sort of animals you will actually see. How can people find out more about the Rocky Mountaineer train ride and I suppose it's a once in a lifetime thing to do How can they see it online? Well, they can visit rockymountaineer.com to get as much information as they can and learn about the different styles of holidays. And you can watch some videos on there as well. We do have our own YouTube channel. It will take you through there. But, of course, your actual bookings you can make with your travel agent. This is Travel Radio Australia. I'm talking today to Mayuki Kamamura, and uh, Mayuki works with a company called Suretrek, and... You're from Ecuador, and I'm speaking to you over there live now. You're in Quito, yeah? Yes. Uh, we are based in Quito, in Ecuador, which is the capital of the country. And, and what's the weather like there today? Are you having nice uh, weather, spring weather, is it? Uh, we actually, we always say that in Ecuador we have the four seasons in one day in Quito because sometimes it can be really sunny and after two hours it will be really rainy. Oh, that's so, like Melbourne. Yeah, it's really, you have the four different seasons in one day. Yeah, a bit like Melbourne. <laughs> now, you were here just uh, the other week talking uh, with some other South American uh, companies uh, in the travel Correct. industry, you're talking to travel agents, and you took the time to to spend some time with us in the media, and we really uh, appreciate that because uh, South America's probably it's the one continent I've well, apart from Antarctica, it's the one place I haven't been yet. Um, but it's interesting always to learn about uh, Ecuador, and Ecuador really has uh, a lot to offer the visitor, doesn't it? Um, correct. Um, Ecuador, um, in terms of land, is a quite a small country. But it's very diverse. You can do a lot of um, interesting things, like you can visit uh, the highlands, the avenue of the volcanoes, um, the Galapagos Islands, which is very, very popular, and I think most of um, many people and tourists have heard of it. Absolutely. Yes, we have a beautiful coast and a unique Amazon in right. our country. So um, basically, it's you can do everything in Ecuador. You can do a little bit of nature, culture, adventure, um, hiking as well, because we have a lot of volcanoes here. 
news and features from around Australia and around the world. This is Travel Radio Australia. Uh, you know, for a lot of people, not us youngins like us, but a lot of people are backpacking around the world, and yeah. that's a great way to see the world on a budget. My and, husband did uh, it. Yeah, I did it too. Yeah. And Will Hatton apparently does it because he's going to tell us all about everything you need to know about backpacking. Yeah. Hello, Will. Thanks for joining us. Hey, how's it going? Great to be here. Yeah. You know, I, I mean, you're speaking to us, at least uh, the old me, because backpacking was the way I first saw Europe when I wasn't in my parents' uh, uh, <laughs> clutches. And uh, it's a great way to discover the world in, in a different way than maybe a lot of people travel. Yeah, I mean, for me, it was go backpacking or don't go traveling because I couldn't really afford to do anything else. So it was kind of a no-brainer, to be honest. Right. How did you figure out how to make the best out of backpacking? Because I've also experienced some pretty bad stuff backpacking, sleeping under the wrong trees <laughs> or whatever. Yeah, no, I mean, I've got, I've got loads of horror stories for you, you know, I've slept rough hundreds of times, I've been robbed, I've been hospitalized, the whole lot, but I mean, um, most of the time it's just gone, it's gone really, really well, people have just sort of welcomed me into their homes or picked me up when I'm hitchhiking, it's just gone really well, I mean, in general, people are really friendly and helpful. So what, when you call an extreme budget, when you go backpacking, I mean, how much are you trying to, I mean, what are you spending a day? Let's, let's get back um, to so the my, Okay, so my record was I once spent $3,000 in a year. And that was including flights, accommodation, food, like everything. That was the whole lot. Wow. Wait, 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 wait. Martha wait, wait. Bull spends that on shoes in one day. <laughs> That's amazing. Now, did, that, did you work at all during that time and, and earn any money? No, I mean, I had, like, every now and again, I'd do, like, a weekend's work on a bar, but you don't, you don't earn money. You get free alcohol and somewhere to stay. Oh, that's um, you know, which you can do it for three or four days, and then your your pay slip of free alcohol starts to just kill your liver, so you have to leave. So, 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 how do you manage to cut your costs when you're traveling? Um, well, I don't really pay for transport. I tend to hitchhike, or if if I really can't hitchhike, I will take local buses. Um, I don't ever pay for accommodation. I get a lot of free accommodation in exchange for like a shout out across my social media. Uh, and when I can't do that, I couch surf. So I, I end up staying with strangers in their homes or. Uh, or just camping, to be honest. Wow. What about food? Um, okay, have you heard of dumpster diving? Yeah. Oh, I've seen it, but I don't want to do it. It's not particularly glamorous, but if you go around the back of big supermarkets, about half an hour after they've closed, they throw out loads of really good stuff. Um, that's not all I survive on, don't worry. I do quite a lot of my own cooking, so sometimes I take like a little portable uh, cooking stove with me if I'm doing a hitchhiking trip. Wow. Right. Now, now, you, you, I understand you spent a year in India. Yes. Which must yes, be, was, uh, I mean, it, it's, it's hard enough to imagine how that would be if you were staying at the Taj Mahal or related type of properties. How's it, how's it backpacking? Is it intense? It was great. I mean, it was really great. It, it was intense. Like, um, Indians are extremely inquisitive. They really want to know everything about you. So, you, you know, you'd be asleep on a train or whatever, and somebody will wake you up at 3 in the morning to ask you what country you were from and what your occupation was. They never understood what student meant. Like, they always expected you to be a doctor if you had the money to be uh, traveling. Um, But, yeah, I mean, in general, it was great. It was so, so cheap. I mean, you can get a meal for about 10 cents, so that's kind of why I stayed for so long. But wait, wait, when you have a meal at 10 cents, what does your stomach do? Do you get Montezuma's (laughs) revenge there? No, seriously, you'd, you'd be surprised. I actually only got sick once, and it was in the last two weeks of being there. Um, and that was when I made the foolhardy decision of actually trying to drink the tap water, which I wouldn't recommend. Oh, oh yeah, yeah. No, that was really not a <laughs> good one. You're getting a little too native, huh? 
<laughs> yeah, just a little bit. I mean, I've been kind of brushing my teeth a bit for a while, and I thought, hey, you know what, I'm leaving India soon. I bet I'm pretty much bulletproof. I'll give it a go, and we'll see what happens. And you did see what happened. Wow. Yeah, I was sick for like five days. It was horrible. Oh, <laughs> have, have you ever uh, gotten any kind of trouble while you're traveling? Yeah. Um, yeah, quite a few, actually. Like, I've crashed a couple of motorbikes. Um, once I crashed a motorbike in Vietnam, and I hadn't seen anybody for a couple of hours. Yeah. Uh, and I, I had quite a bad crash, but I got very, very lucky in that a uh, British paramedic on holiday happened to come round the corner. Um, so <laughs> what that was, are the yeah. chances of that? <laughs> I know, right? I hadn't seen anybody for like two hours, um, and they pretty much just scraped me off the curb, which was great. Wow. wow. So how 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 long have you been gone? I mean, are you still traveling and like? Yeah, um, so at the, right now I'm in the UK. I've been here for like a week and I'm going away again in a week. I've only really come back for my mum's birthday because I've missed like the last five. Oh. Um, so I promised I'd come back. Um, but I was recently in Venezuela and Colombia before that and next I'm heading to the Philippines. How do, oh, how, how wow. do you get to places? Like how do you get yeah, to I mean, South America? How, how can you hitchhike, hitchhike a plane? I fly. That's... That's where my that's my major cost is flying, but I've become quite good at flight hacking. So my flight to the Philippines it's quite cheap, but I've got like an eighteen-hour layover in um, a city I can't pronounce in the middle of China. Wait, what's flight hacking? Um, well, you've got it in the states actually. A lot of, a lot of you guys use uh, like flight miles from credit card schemes. Oh yeah. Um, so you can do that. That's not as easy in the UK, but um, in the UK you can kind of work out how to take a really inefficient route that is a lot cheaper. It just takes a long time to get there. So my flight to the Philippines, I think it's like 32 hours. Because you're going through Beijing or something, right? I think I'm going through Gangzhou, if that's how you pronounce oh, it. Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. So, so well, that's kind of an adventure in itself, you know? <laughs> yeah, I mean, it should be okay. I'm, I'm, I'm hoping I'll, I'll probably just grab the transit visa and leave the airport and go and have a bit of an explore. Well, now, Will, have you got a book out on all this yet? Uh, no, I've got a website. I've got a website called thebrokebackpacker.com, um, and that, that's kind of how I fund my travels because I haven't had a traditional job for years, really. So people can go to your website, thebrokebackpacker.com, and then what, can they can just contribute some money to you? Uh, well, I just, at one point I got robbed in Nicaragua, um, and I started a crowdfunding campaign online, uh, and, and a lot of people who read my website were able to donate towards that, and I raised about $3,000, which was amazing because wow. it was that like that would yeah. be good for a year it was it was way more than i needed which was fantastic so i was able to buy a new gopro and lots of shiny equipment um but no most of the time you know i make a bit of money through advertising or i'll work for different companies i work for a company called Hovelstay at the moment yeah uh, where i go around the world finding unique accommodation like tree houses or caves and i sign them up and i get a, i get a like a reward an incentive for uh, signing properties up you sound very inv- I hope you'll come through Santa Barbara one day. Yeah. And we, we can go dumpster diving together. <laughs> We've got a lot of good grocery stores here. Yeah, we do. <laughs> well, well, well thanks so much for joining us. We really appreciate it. TheBrokeBackpacker.com is a website to check out. And uh, we wish you good travels. News, views, and interviews. This is Travel Radio Australia with Ren Spears. from Cairn Ryan up towards Ayr in Scotland is one that I've travelled since I was very young. It has amazing views of Ailsa Craig, the Isle of Arran and numerous little villages hugging the coastline. 
One of the iconic landmarks on the road is Turnberry Resort, just outside Girvan. Known for decades as a mecca for golfers, the resort has had a slight change of course of the non-golfing variety to cater for families visiting the area. The land of Turnberry self-catering apartments have recently been refurbished to an extremely high standard and allow families more flexibility than a normal hotel stay. The apartments are in their own area on the resort, but residents have access to the hotel, its numerous restaurants and bars, as well as the spa. The resort makes the most of its 800 acres and offers a number of outdoor activities for all age groups. The resort farm offers children the chance to get up close to its animals and get involved in feeding time on regular tours, while others will jump at the chance to enjoy a horse ride along the beach. The new falconry lessons, which feature Harris hawks and other birds of prey, mean that the nearby golfers aren't the only ones experiencing birdies. There are a number of restaurants on the resort. The Elsa Bar offers a fusion of Scots-inspired dishes, many of which can be tried in smaller portions called flights, so the diner can experience different tastes and textures instead of one main meal. Breakfast at the 1906 restaurant, with its stunning views across the Gulf Links and the Irish Sea, is absolutely amazing. While at the resort, I spoke to Gail Hartmill, the marketing manager, and asked her to tell me more about the hotel and the iconic golf course. Turnbury, uh, the hotel, has been here since 1906, so just over 100 years. Uh, it's a very iconic building within the area and certainly a very well-known hotel. Over the years, it's uh, been, been used as a, as a number of different things, not just a hotel during the World Wars. It was used as both an air base and a, and a hospital. So it has a very interesting history um, for our guests who visit us, uh, particularly from, from further afield than, than Scotland and the UK. The big thing for Turnbury, of course, is golf, and that, that's really what you're known as. Uh, how important is Turnbury in, in the golfing fraternity? I mean, Turnbury is, you know, such a well-known course. Uh, the Ailsa course, which is the, the championship course used for the British Open, um, as recently as 2009, is uh, ranked within the top 16 in the world and, and certainly as one of the UK's uh, top golf courses in a number of golf publications. So, you know, the Ailsa course is, is, uh, is, is world world renowned, really, and, uh, and certainly every golfer's dream to come and play at some stage in their golfing life. If you can tear yourself away from the many activities on the resort, there's plenty to see and do in the immediate area too. Killian Castle and estates a few miles away. The National Trust for Scotland have been entrusted with looking after the castle and the grounds, which feature a magnificent walled garden, a large swan lake and an adventure playground. Nearby Alloway is home to the Robert Burns Birthplace Museum, which has undergone an amazing transformation from its days as the Land of Burns Centre. The historic thatched cottage where Scotland's national poet was born is still there, of course, but the new museum is an excellent introduction to the man behind such famous songs as Outlying Sign and My Love is Like a Red Red Rose. Air Seafront has undergone many transformations over the years, and in my opinion, there's nothing better than buying a portion of chips and the ambiguous battered haggis and eating them while sitting on the seafront wall. You can see what Ayrshire has to offer by visiting www.visitscotland.com or www.turnbyresort.co.uk You've been listening to Travel Radio Australia. The show was produced and hosted by Ren Spheres. It can be played or downloaded from travelradioaustralia.com, travelcastnetwork.com, the iTunes Store, or listen to the show on TuneIn Radio.